Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park, where we build generational, transformational disciples. My name is Pastor Jesse, and this morning we are continuing through the study on Jesus's earthly ministry. But before we get into that text today, let's go over our scripture verse that we've been memorizing through this entire series. Let's see it on the board. Do we have it? There we go. Amen. All right, here we go. So one, two, three. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Let's do it again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John, and we are going to be mostly in chapter 10 today. Uh, so, a little backstory. Um, I got my first job when I was 16. Now, I wasn't super zealous to work or anything like that, uh, but my dad told me I couldn't get a cell phone until I could pay for it myself. So, as soon as I could get a job, I got one so I could have a cell phone just like the rest of my classmates. And, and I got myself a job as a waiter. Now, this wasn't a typical restaurant. This wasn't your local Olive Garden or your Red Lobster or anything like that. Uh, I got a job as a waiter in a retirement community. Uh, and so they had, you know, this, this whole complex filled with, with retirees, uh, and they had this nice fancy dining room. It was expensive to eat there. You had to wear your Sunday best. Like, you couldn't, you know, go down in shorts and a T-shirt. You had to dress up, put on your nice suit jacket and all that. Uh, and so, actually, this was the facility that my grandma lived in, so I got to see my grandma all the time, which was great. Um, so I had the privilege of serving these folks uh, several nights during the week, and there was this one man in particular that I remember to this day. Can't remember his name for the life of me, but I remember him. Uh, and the reason I remember him is because I had just had a great deal of respect for him uh, because of the way he treated people. Um, he treated all of his servers with kindness. Uh, he treated his, his wife, who was um, a little bit worse off than him, with, with a great amount of gentleness and care. Uh, and he was just a sociable guy. Like He was just friendly to all of the other residents that lived there. Uh, now, on one night in particular, while I was serving their table, um, I kind of turned my ear into their conversation because I thought it was a little bit interesting. Uh, this man began talking about the last time that he had been in church. So I started to listen a little bit closer. So this man, he, he talked about the last time that he, right, this is a 75, 80-year-old man. He said, the last time I was in church, I was a young man. And when I was sitting in church, worship ended, we sang some hymns, worship ended, and the preacher came up to preach. And during the course of that message, he referred to the people of God as sheep. Now, if you grew up with a church background like I did, that's not typical, that's not unusual. That, that's pretty typical language. We talk about the Lord as our, our shepherd, which makes us sheep. Thank you, yeah. But this man was so off-put and offended by being called a sheep that he stood up in the middle of the message, walked out, and had never returned to church in almost 60 years except for weddings and funerals. Now, what I think this man had wrong is, is that he, he had the wrong, the wrong question. The question is not whether or not we are sheep. The question is who is our shepherd? 
all of us follow after something. All of us. We are all sheep following after a shepherd. The beauty of life is that we get to choose who that is. But, but I think he just had it a little bit wrong. It's, it's not whether or not we're sheep. It's, it's who is your shepherd. All of us follow after something, are led by something, are motivated for something. And, and whatever that may be this morning, that is your shepherd. It is what you look to for safety and joy, for delight and for purpose. And all of these things offer abundant life. All of them. All of them say, this way leads to life. But listen to me, church. There is only one shepherd who can deliver on that promise. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So my prayer this morning is that we might, as a church, be able to fix our eyes on Jesus, the good shepherd, who, unlike the imposters, the false shepherds, is actually able to give us abundant and eternal life. So uh, if you haven't turned in your Bible already to John chapter 10, uh, I'm supposed to be preaching on John 9 through 10, but I'm not as gifted as Aaron, so I'm just going to focus on this one little section. But it's important that we know the context of what's happening here. So in the context of the story, Jesus has uh, just finished up where, where Caleb left off last week, uh, and him and his disciples are walking through town, and they see this man who was born blind. He didn't have an accident. He was just born that way, and so his disciples ask a piercing question. He says, Lord, who sinned? Why is this man blind? Who, whose fault is it? And Jesus says it was nobody's fault. It was so that the glory of God could be revealed in this man. Which tells us that not all of the things that have gone wrong in our lives are punishment. God is not a punitive God. But in your pain, there is purpose. Amen? And so, leading up to this, this good shepherd passage, which is one of my favorite passages in scripture, Jesus finds this man born blind. His disciples ask this question, and on a Sabbath day, again, because when else can Jesus heal? He heals this man. And the entire community, because this, this man's a beggar, right? They see him sitting on the side of the road all the time, begging for money, and now they see him walking around. And they begin to ask, is that the same guy? Is that, is that the guy, the, the blind beggar? that just sits on the side of the road? Is that, and half the community is like, no, it's, he just looks like him. But the other half is like, no, that's, that's the guy. And so they go to him and they say, how, how were you made well again? He says, well, um, Jesus healed me. I don't, know, I don't know who he was, but he told me that he put mud on my eyes and it was kind of gross, but then he made me go wash it off, which was a little bit better, and then I could see again. And so they immediately take him to the Pharisees. And right, who, who are the Pharisees? They are supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. They're, they're supposed to be the ones who are protecting Israel, leading Israel in the right direction, pointing Israel towards the truth of the word of God, pointing them towards God himself. And what do they begin to do? They begin to interrogate this man. Who healed you? Does, does he not observe the Sabbath? So they begin to interrogate him, and he says, look, I don't know how I was made well, but this man healed me. I was blind, but now I can see. But that's not satisfactory for the Pharisees, is it? No, it's not. 
because the next thing they do is they bring in the man's parents, right? They can't get a straight answer from this guy. They can't get what they want to hear from this guy, so they go to his parents. And it's almost like they're bullying the people of Israel, like they're pushing them around because it says in the text that as the Pharisees are interrogating the parents, they say, look, this is our son. I don't know how he's well. Go ask him. He's an adult. And the text literally says it's because they feared the Pharisees. Because they had agreed that anybody who declares that Jesus is the Messiah was to be excommunicated, kicked out, banished, apart from the community of Israel. Which, I mean, a lot of it, we have like individual relationship with God. Jewish faith was very communal. So to be kicked out of the community was a big deal. And so the parents put it back on their son because they were afraid of the Pharisees. Here's a lesson. You should never have to be afraid of your shepherd. And so the man is brought back in, and they tell him, give glory to God. Don't give glory to this man. And he says, well, this is an amazing thing because I can see you don't know where this guy comes from, and yet he's performing miracles in the Lord's name. I was blind, but now I can see. And when this man will not bow to the bullying tactics of the Pharisees, they kick him out. Because this man knew the truth, is that he was blind, and now he sees. And this is where our story picks up, is when Jesus finds the man who had just been kicked out of the presence of the Pharisees, who who wasn't going to bow to their authority and bow to their bullying tactics, because he knew something was different about this man who healed. And that's where our text picks up. So look with me in John chapter 10, and we're going to look first at verses 1 through 5. The Word of God says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Sorry, I forgot I have to be doing this clicky thing. Can you take care of that? I don't want to do that. Okay, so... What we have so far, this, this is a parable, this is a teaching technique that Jesus uses, and he begins to set up this contrast, and what I think he's contrasting is himself and the Pharisees, the good shepherd and the thief, and the robber, the imposter, the false shepherd. And so in this story, we have two types of shepherds. We have the true shepherd, who the sheep hear, and they follow his voice, they obey him, he leads them. And then there's the thief and the robber, the imposter who who doesn't climb in by the gate, but but scales the wall into the sheepfold and still tries to get the sheep to follow them, right? And so all of these false shepherds are saying the same thing as the good shepherd. They're saying, this way leads to life. You're looking for your abundant life? It's over this way. Come come follow me. And, And so... There are these two shepherds that are in the sheepfold with you, and they are both calling your name, both offering you abundant life, and you are caught in the tension between them. See, 
false shepherds always overpromise and underdeliver. They always offer what they cannot give. And so they may have the appearance of the shepherd. They may offer you what looks like abundant and eternal life. Uh, but as we will see later on in this passage, which we'll get to, uh, they are a tool of the enemy, and they are bent on stealing, killing, and destroying. And, and so just a few examples of some false shepherds. The, the prosperity gospel, which is running rampant here. It's running rampant in Africa, where Jesus is being offered to people as a means to more stuff, as a means to a more prosperous physical life. Sounds pretty good. I mean, even the, some of the stuff that Jesus says, like when he says that I've come to give you life in the full, to some people that sounds like more money. Another false shepherd is the culture we live in right now that tells you that the most important thing in life is to love yourself and make sure that you're happy. Do whatever just makes you the happiest you can possibly be. Doesn't matter how immoral or ugly it is, go for it. What's most important is that you're just loving yourself, man. Another one, how about works-based faith? What every other religion on the planet teaches is that you have to do something to please God. You have to do something to be in his fold. That you have to do something, but that's not what the shepherd teaches. None of that is what the good shepherd, the true shepherd, teaches. These are all false shepherds. They are all imposters that are telling you this way leads to life, but in the end, all they do is steal and kill and destroy. They may sound right, but they are not what the good shepherd teaches. And so the question becomes, okay, so there's a good shepherd in the sheepfold, and there's a false shepherd. Both of them are offering abundant life, both of them look like shepherds, so how do I know which one to follow? You discern the lie by knowing the truth. Because look at the text. Look what it says. Can we, can we, can we go back to, to, actually, I have one of these cursor things. I, I just, <laughs> this is new. Okay, all right, right here. Okay. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the strangers. Okay, so listen to me, church. It is not your job to know every single false shepherd. It's your job to know your shepherd. That's how you know the difference. Because the sheep say, he looks like a shepherd, he's offering abundant life, but that doesn't sound like my shepherd. That doesn't sound like his voice. So it's not your job to know every false teacher. It's not your job to know every false shepherd. It is your job to know the voice of your shepherd. Because he's the one they're following. So when you hear the voice of the false shepherd saying, this way leads to life, you can say with certainty, that doesn't sound like my shepherd. So it is not by being well informed about all of the false shepherds and the counterfeit ways uh, to a supposed abundant life. Jesus says that the sheep flee from the thieves and the robbers because they don't sound like the true shepherd. So point number one in your notes, if you're following along with me, uh, is that we need to know the true shepherd to escape the counterfeit. We need to know the true shepherd to escape the counterfeit. So we as believers need to prioritize knowing Jesus' voice, what he actually taught, 
what his heart was actually for, the way that he actually viewed sin, the way that he leads his people. We need to know his voice, his character, his heart, what grieves him, what brings him joy, what he promises. That's what you need to know. And it's by that that you can discern that is a false shepherd. And that is my shepherd. And I'm going to follow him. So moving on in our text, starting verse 6. It says, uh, this figure of speech, <laughs> Jesus used with them, uh, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Uh, so Jesus further explains this parable because the Pharisees that are listening in, that are on the, in this conflict with Jesus, they just don't get it. They, they hear what he's saying, but they're just not, it's not, not penetrating their hearts. Uh, and so Jesus further explains that first he offers eternal life. The first thing Jesus offers is eternal life, salvation from our sin. Because at the end of the day, all of us know something's busted in us. Right? Some, something ain't right. I, I keep doing these things that I, I don't want to do that I, that I know are wrong. Some, something is broken in humanity. We sin and in our natural state we are separated from god that's why we make gods false shepherds out of all of these little things that we have in our lives we make false shepherds out of good things that god gives us we make false shepherds out of our families thinking that the, the more family i have around me the more the happier i'm going to be the more life i'm going to have we make false shepherds out of our our marriages and those these are good things but they're they're lousy shepherds they're gifts of God, but lousy shepherds. We all know instinctively that there's something broken in us. And so Satan's hands have been very, very busy distracting mankind with counterfeit means of salvation. Right? Some people think that they're Christians because their parents are and, and genuinely believe it. My parents go to church. I'm a Christian. But at church, there's no grandkids in heaven. You're either a child of God or you're not. And, and some people think that they're Christians because of where they grew up or where they lived. I listen to a lot of Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in Dallas, Texas. He says, man, there's people who believe that they're Christians because they were raised in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. <laughs> and genuinely believe it. But, but millions, thousands at least, of false religions that teach you have to do something to earn God's favor, that you, you have to pray towards a certain place five times a day, or you, you have to go on a mission for two years. Or you have to do all of these things to earn God's favor and his approval and, and hopefully tip the scales in such a way that your good outweighs your bad. Satan's hands have been very busy convincing people that there are other ways that lead to eternal life but Jesus. And people continually fall for it. But there are many voices throughout history who have claimed that they hold the keys to salvation, the keys to the forgiveness of your sin. But there's only one 
with the death and resurrection to prove that he actually owns the keys. Jesus says, I am the door. What does the door lead to? To the fold of God. Into the family of God. Jesus says, I am the door. You want to get to the Father, you have to come through me. So hear me, church. There is no other means of salvation but the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. And even as exclusive as this is, it is incredibly inclusive because he says, if anyone enters by me, anyone, they will be saved. Church, there is nobody too far from salvation. If, if anyone will simply, by faith, walk through the door of Jesus Christ, they will go into the fold of God. And they will go in and out and find pasture. This is what Jesus promises. The first thing that the good shepherd promises is eternal life. And that sets up the next part of this text. Starting in... Oh, sorry. I must have skipped a point. Did I? Yeah. Oh, here we go. Point number two in your notes. Sorry, it's first service. Um, Christ alone holds the keys to salvation. Christ alone. He's the only one with the death, burial, and resurrection to prove that he actually owns the keys to salvation. Nobody else did. Joseph Smith died, didn't raise. Mohammed died, didn't raise. Jesus, he's our living hope. And he reigns and he sits on his throne today. So let's look at the next part of the text. Oh, here we go. Starting in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking about you and me. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Okay, so we begin to really see the contrast between the good shepherd and the false shepherds. So what separates them is that false shepherds are compelled by gain and care nothing for the sheep. They want to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus contrasts himself with those false shepherds. He says, I have come that these sheep might have life. And have it abundantly. 
So false shepherds compelled by gain care nothing for the sheep. Jesus compelled by love and lays down his life for the sheep. And this is what makes Jesus so good, right? So Jesus compelled by divine love for you stood in your place at the cross. Is there a greater love than that? No. Out of divine love, not out of gain, not not for his own sake, for your sake, out of divine love for you, stood in your place, church. And this is for two reasons. And the first we already saw. The first reason is to save you from the penalty of your sin and to bring you into the fold of God. The book of Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. You know what wages is? It's a paycheck. The paycheck for sin is death. That's what you earned. That thing that's broken in us, that's what we earned. We earned death. We earned separation from God. It is rightly ours. So the question is not why does God send good people to hell? It's why does he let anybody into heaven? It's because of divine love. So that's the first reason that he stood in your place on the cross. The second reason is to set you free. Look right at me, church. The second reason that Jesus took your place on the cross is to set you free from the power of sin in your life. So he has rescued us and removed the penalty of sin, and then he removed sin's power over you. What does the text say? When the wolf comes, the hired hand runs. The false shepherd flees because he does not care about you. The false shepherds that you have in your life will do nothing for you. Will not lay down their lives for you. But what does the good shepherd do? The wolf comes and he lays down his life for the protection of the sheep. So when the wolf came, the wolf of sin and death, when when it came to your door, when it came to the sheepfold, what Jesus has done is he has effectively shattered the teeth of the wolf and robbed it of its power. This is an incredible thing. Jesus in his death and resurrection has shattered the teeth of the wolf and declawed him forever for every believer. So when sin comes prowling around at you, wooing you and and about to attack you, what it really can do is it can snarl, it can growl, it can raise the the, the hair on its back at you, but it can do nothing to you unless you submit to it. Because Jesus has removed its power from your life. Because you are saved by the blood of Jesus, sin no longer has a hold on you. The wolf can growl, it can bark, it can try to bite you, but all it's going to do is gum you. Jesus has shattered the teeth of the wolf. Declawed him forever for you, which means you can walk in the freedom that Christ purchased you on the cross, and you do not have to bow to the wolf of sin anymore. If I asked you right now, what is your idea of an abundant life? 
You know, if, you, if you went up to somebody on the street in Estes Park and asked, asked a tourist, what, what's the most ideal, abundant life that you can imagine? You know, some of you might say, some of them might say, uh, an abundant life is one where my bank account is full and I don't have to ever worry about money. Some might say one where I have a lot of power and influence. For a lot of you, you might say one where I don't have to wait in a really long line at Safeway during tourism season. And yet some of you might say one where I can ride my Harley all day and never run out of gas. I see you. I see you, brother. Uh, But listen to me. Abundant stuff does not equal abundant life. I mean, I always, I always think back to this interview I saw of, now you guys can hate me for this, uh, my favorite team is uh, the New England Patriots. <laughs> the scourge of your existence for 20 years. Um, but I remember it was after, I think, Tom Brady's third Super Bowl win, which is ridiculous, and he w- it was only like 2004. It's this 60 Minutes interview, you can look it up online, uh, but during the interview, um, Tom Brady who's married to a supermodel, has more money in his bank account than I'll ever see in my lifetime, Um, has three Super Bowl rings, you know, world fame. I mean, this guy has it all, and yet he's sitting there across from the interview, and he says this, there's got to be something more than this. I mean, he's got everything. And yet he recognizes that there's got to be something more than this. Abundant stuff does not equal abundant life. So, so what is it that really plagues us? What is it that really robs us of abundant life? I, is, it, is it arguments with your spouse? Is it an addiction of some sort? Is it some fear or anxiety? Listen, abundant life is not abundant stuff. Abundant life is life set free from the power of sin. The most abundant life that you can live right now is one where you are walking in the power of the shed blood of Jesus, not bowing to the wolf of sin. That's the most abundant life that you can have. It's one that has been set free from the power of sin. And this is what Jesus offers us. He says, life in the next, yes. Life right now, yes. Because Jesus has set us free. He has removed the power and the sting of sin and death for every believer. Right? It's, it, isn't it Galatians 5.1 that says it, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free? Jesus has removed sin's power over you. And what would it look like if you actually started believing it? See, in Christ, right, the wolf of sin and death, though it may growl and snarl at us and raise the hair on its back at us, has been turned into nothing more than a declawed, defanged house cat. Uh, And yet, so many of us allow it to run roughshod through our lives. We still live like sin has some semblance of power over us. The wolf starts starts to snarl and we just cave. It's like a sheep, we just roll on our back and show our bellies. So so what would it mean for your life if you started standing on the promise 
that you don't have to bow to your sin anymore. What would it mean if you started walking fearlessly in front of the wolf? What would it mean for your marriage? What would it mean for your anxieties and your fears? What would it mean for your addictions and the things that you always run to for pleasure? What would it mean if we as a church, as the people of God, started to stand on the promise that we don't have to bow anymore? Entering into the most abundant life that you could possibly imagine begins and ends with believing that Jesus has decisively set you free from your sin. My big idea today, what I really want you guys to take away from today after this third point. (laughs) No, we're way too far. Here we go. This is the big idea today. Abundant life is life that has been set free from the power of sin. That's your most abundant life. It's not a fat bank account or a Harley that never runs out of gas. I'm looking at you. It's not an empty Safeway. It's none of these things because they're just things. Abundant life is one where you can overcome your sin. And the only way that you can do it is through the power and authority that is in Jesus' name. So our big idea today is that, is that abundant and eternal life belongs to those who belong to Christ. Abundant and eternal life belongs to those who belong to Christ. So at the end of this chapter, Jesus attends what's called the Feast of Dedication, which we would know as Hanukkah. Uh, And so he's in Jerusalem, and and once again after this good shepherd discourse, he is uh, interrogated by the Jews and the Pharisees on whether or not he's the Messiah. Uh, at which point he says in no uncertain terms that he is, and also he's God. And this really riles their feathers, right? Uh, and so the Jews at this point try to stone Jesus, and he flees. And he, he runs to the Jordan River where it says that John was baptizing during his ministry. Uh, and what is awesome in this chapter is that even in the face of growing hostility towards Jesus, there are still people who followed him there, And it says that they believed in him. You know what just happened? They heard the voice of the good shepherd. And they followed after him. That's what Jesus says. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Even in the face of growing hostility, they follow me. Even in the face of persecution, they follow me. My sheep know my voice. They will not follow a stranger. The Pharisees and the Jews, they started to sound like strangers and robbers and thieves to some people because they heard the voice of the good shepherd. So today I want to implore you to leave your false shepherds behind. Abandon the things that care nothing for you, that cannot offer you eternal or abundant life, that only give you short-term pleasure, and follow after the good shepherd who is able 
to give you eternal and abundant life. So um, our application today, now we're here. Uh, the first one, uh, obviously, okay, so Aaron, Aaron always says to memorize the verse. It seems like you guys have it pretty well memorized, but, you know, after doing this for however many weeks. Um, but, you know, during your week, dwell on that passage, Matthew 16, 24, that, that we would deny ourselves and take up our cross and, and follow after him. Uh, but, but you could rip off that little, little edge of your green connect card. If you could fill that out for us and, and drop it uh, in the back, that would just be wonderful. Um, but what, the first thing that I want you to do this week is I want you to know your shepherd's voice, right? Because how is it that we are going to avoid being misled by false shepherds? It is by knowing the voice of the true shepherd, right? Uh, and so actually this week, I want to do something a little bit different. If you, if you check the box on the back of your Connect card where it says, know your shepherd's voice, um, it is essential for you to know who your shepherd is. So on your connection card, if you mark down this box and, and you provide your email, uh, for the next five days, uh, I will send you a devotional in the morning, uh, and they will focus on the person and character of Jesus uh, so that you can know him better. Uh, so we, I'll send you a passage to read, uh, which I feel represents Jesus' heart, his character, who he is. Uh, and then just a couple questions for you to kind of interact with on your own. Uh, journal if you need to. Um, but I, I'd love for you to join uh, with the rest of the church body as we kind of discover who is Jesus together. Uh, and even if you are a seasoned Christian, I mean, if you, you have been a Christian for 60 years, uh, it is always good to hear about who your shepherd is and, and have those reminders. So uh, if you mark that box uh, and provide your email if we don't have it already, I will send you a devotional every single morning so that you can get to know the voice of your shepherd. The second application today is that we need to flee our false shepherds. All of us, every single one of us, who have been Christians for 60 years, 50 years, 40 years, Christians who have been Christians for 10 years, five years, two weeks, doesn't matter. All of us have false shepherds in our lives. Things that we are trusting to give us abundant life, things that we are trusting to make us happy and give us joy and purpose, uh, and, and yet we are being led astray by those things. Uh, so this week, I'd, I'd love for you to do some, some inward searching. And begin to identify the things in your life that you follow after that are not Jesus, uh, but that you are trusting to give abundant life, but they don't have power to deliver it. Uh, so wh whether it's, it's wealth or, or community, like all of those things are good things and gifts of God, but they make for lousy shepherds. Uh, and so uh, would you just run from your false shepherds this week? Do some accounting in your own life. Identify those things and, and just, just walk away from those and walk towards Jesus. And lastly, and this is the big one, stand firm in your freedom. One of the great and difficult things that, that we ought to do as Christians is to examine ourselves and see where we are falling short. So as you begin to take inventory of your life, of your marriage, of your work habits, of your private life when nobody's around, as you begin to examine those things and take inventory, 
uh, of your heart and you begin to identify those, those pressure points where sin seems to still have a grip on you, right, in your, in your marriage, in your anxiety, in your loneliness, I, I want you to hear me. Christ has shattered the teeth of that wolf. Whatever sin seems to have a stronghold in your life, Jesus has shattered the teeth of that wolf by his death, burial, and resurrection. Walk, then, in victorious freedom. Do not let the enemy deceive you into thinking that there is no way out or that there is no hope of deliverance from this particular sin or that particular sin. Jesus has trampled over them all and has given us the keys to eternal and abundant life where we have been set free from the power and penalty of sin. Isn't that a good shepherd? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do look to you, the founder and the finisher of our faith. Lord, we thank you that you have shattered the teeth of the wolf for each of us that there is no sin that has its hook so deep in our lives that it can't be rooted out Lord help us to trust you to follow you Lord that you would be our vision that you would be our everything that you would be our delight that you would be what we look to for joy and satisfaction for protection for peace for comfort Lord, I pray that that your children would hear your voice, know your voice, and follow after you. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Lord, we believe as a church, as Christians, that you have won us the victory, that you have set us free from the power of sin. Help our unbelief. Lord, help us walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which we have been called. That we might walk in the freedom that you alone have won for us. These things we pray in the mighty name of King Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing this last song together.